if uh, you've brought a Bible, I want to encourage you to turn to Galatians chapter 5. And if you didn't bring a Bible, feel free to grab one out of the seats, pockets in front of you, and go ahead and turn there with us as we go through this chapter together. We're on a series called One Another. Oh, 10, 11 year olds, you guys are dismissed. Here we go. Uh, we're on a series together uh, called One Another. And um, the, the importance of, of one another is that uh, God has never created us or has not created us to be an island unto ourselves. When God designed you, his intentions were all about community. And what we discover in this series, we look through God's usage of the word one another in the Bible, is that our, our vertical relationship with the Lord is affected by our horizontal relationship with each other. God, in creating us for community, the number one place that we display his glory is through our interaction with each other. God has called us to love the Lord God with all your heart and to love others. And unless we're loving others, it's difficult to say that we love the Lord because both of those commandments that Jesus has given us are wrapped into each other. As we love the Lord, we demonstrate that in our lives. God has gifted you, and the point of gifts aren't that they rest upon you, but the point of a gift is to give itself away. All of us have been gifted in different ways, and God desires for you to exercise those to give them away. And as well, someone else has given, been given gifts that they may exercise them to encourage you and exhort you in your life and following after the Lord. And so Galatians chapter 5 follows the thought of serving one another, which is the theme of what we're going to talk about this morning. I look at this chapter and my mind always begins to think about William Wallace from Braveheart. Right? At the end of the movie, he's fought for freedom the entire time. And at the end of the movie, he loses his life just screaming about freedom. And, and when you watch that movie as a guy, you just, as a girl maybe too, I don't know, I'm not a female, but can't tell you. But as a guy, you just want to stand up and just like, yeah, he did it, he did it, he did it. You know, you're into that moment because uh, you, you understand what it means to be free to some degree because in some point of your life you've felt like you've been in bondage. And so freedom is important. So when we talk about freedom, it's important for us to see that we are free to serve. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1 it says, it was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. If you skip ahead from verse 13, I'll explain why in just a moment while we're, while we're doing this. But in verse 13, it says, For you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In this statement, you shall love the Lord your God, or excuse me, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Notice in verse 13, just an important thought to think about in service towards one another. Before, before Paul says to serve one another, he says it's but through love that you are able to serve one another. When we started the series together, we started with the idea of love. And in love for your relationship with, with God, because of his love demonstrated to you, it even gives you, it, it begins to give you the opportunity to live as God has called you to live in relationship to one another. And so as Paul calls us to serve one another, it is on the backbone of love. Everything that God calls us to do as believers is on the backbone of love. God has called us to serve. He's given us the freedom to serve him. Serving can be a challenge for those in a society that may teach life is about you. 
When it comes to service and freedom, it's difficult for us sometimes to fathom because we we live in a dog-eat-dog world where you climb the top of the rung to get to the highest position. And if you're not in the highest position, you either want to rip those down who are in the highest position so you can be there or you idolize those that are in the position that you desire to be in. It's about your glory and your kingdom. Jesus comes along. And he shifts the paradigm. In fact, he turns it upside down up on itself. And he says in Mark 9, 35, those who want to be great in his kingdom must be the least. And the least will become first. Jesus is about serving. Interesting, when you read a passage like this, you might consider the question, how, how can you be free if you are serving? When you serve, does that mean that you are free? When you think about service, it seems those that are in service are under obligation. How is Paul relating this idea of serving to that of freedom when it comes to Jesus? Without Christ, we as people would have never been free to serve. But because of Christ, we have found freedom that we may serve the Lord. In Romans 6, 13 and 14, it says this, And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. We're given the freedom to serve because of his grace. And so when we talk about service as a body of believers apart from Jesus, we would have never had that. And so when we enter a discussion of serving, it's not about serving because I'll explain more in a minute, but it's not about serving because we, we have to, but rather because we get to. Jesus has come to set you free that you may honor him with your life. And so what is serving? Serving is the willingness to humble yourself and act for the benefit of another. Uh, Serving is the willingness to humble yourself and act for the benefit of another. If you think about the, the definition of what serving is, then it adds purpose behind the meaning of your reason for serving. You don't just serve to serve. There's always an obligation or purpose behind the serving that you desire to accomplish. When it comes to serving, one of the best illustrations uh, I think of is that of marriage. When a wedding ceremony takes place, I can tell you as a pastor performing those ceremonies, I'll tell the couple my, my entire goal on that ceremony as it's being conducted is for no one to remember me. I do not want that spotlight ever because I don't want to look the bride in the eyes and see what, what she's going to do to me later. When, when I perform a marriage, the point of the marriage is all about the glory of the ceremony and highlighting the beauty of the bride, which is also why the bride chooses bridesmaids. The bridesmaids participate in the wedding, but their obligation towards that opportunity is to serve her in such a way that her beauty is made known as she comes down the aisle and conducts that ceremony is conducted. It's all about her glory. Serving is about the benefit of, of another For a wedding, it's about the glory of a bride. For us as a believer, it's about the goodness of Christ and his glory being made known. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The reason we serve is for his glory. And through serving in glory for him, we as people benefit from that. 
Everything we do is for his glory, which defines the very reason why we gather together on Sunday morning. It's not about indulging yourself in God's word, letting it sit within yourself and then walk out fattened up on God's word, never, never exercising, but to understand as God's word is communicated to us, it gifts us with the opportunity of better knowing Christ that we may return it in glory to him in this world. We don't walk in just to indulge ourselves. We create a church for the context of a family in servanthood that we may encourage one another in service to God and in so encouraging one another may go out into this world, encourage others in the Lord. I say all that and then give this plug and ABC needs workers. (laughs) We need people to volunteer. Every ministry on Sunday morning is just lacking just a few volunteers to really fill them as what we would, what we would desire in having two services. If that's something that you're interested in and just being a part of that on Sunday morning, we have a, a card outside uh, called, what's it called? Join a team. There you go. Thank you. Well, I'm going to blink. Join a team. And you're able to join a team, just fill it out, dropping it in, in the box out on the information table or in the um, offering baskets if you desire to help serve. God has given you freedom in service. God desires for us to serve. Let me, let me just paint a picture of, of, of a couple scenarios. One that, that failed to see the opportunity given to them and one where a person rose to the occasion to serve. I was recently reading a, a, a book on a church that was existing during the time the Germans were uh, conquering and, and right before World War II. And I went back to find where this reference was and I couldn't find it. So just pretend like I made it up. I don't, I don't know where. I can't give you the reference. But... But this church existing during World War II was located next to the train tracks. And on these train tracks would pass these uh, train carts. And in the train carts were people being driven to the concentration camps. At this particular church was the, the train tracks that were located next to it. Were, they were transporting the passengers on this train on their way to Auschwitz, which historically, you know, Auschwitz was one of the worst, if, if not the worst concentration camp in all of World War II. And I'm reading this story. I'm thinking, man, this is incredible. There's a church right next to the train tracks. They got opportunity to really shine for the Lord here. What are they going to do? And in anticipation, I'm just looking at this. I can't wait to get to the end of the story to read all this victory. And you know what the church's solution was? When the trains would drive past on Sunday morning, they determined that they would just sing louder so they didn't have to hear. You hear a story like that. And you realize what a tragedy that is. We as people know innately within ourselves that just to pacify some opportunity like this, to do something that could preserve hundreds if not thousands of lives, what, what a shame not to seize it. We are created for so much more. The passivity of the church shared one thing about their beliefs that they worshipped on Sunday morning. It was that it was dead orthodoxy. It was useless to their lives. It puffed up the mind, but never affected the heart. But God's intention through his word is that it would breathe into us life and living for him. Not death orthodoxy, but life transforming power by his message. I often wondered in reading that story, what, what I would have done had I been given the circumstance. It's easy to justify those moments. Right? I'm a, 
I'm a father of children. I'm responsibility to them. And, and so I, I know those people need me, but my family needs me more. And, and you know, I, I know what I'll do. I'll just pray for them. God can intervene with prayer. I'll just pray for them and just hope that nothing happens on the other end. What can I tell you? Passivity brought just destruction. Doing nothing is something. I was reading about dictators that have led in history and in studying dictators that have led in history. You know what researchers have found out? The majority of the people that belonged to those leaders, to those nations, to those empires, 75% of them or more didn't agree with what the dictator was doing. Germany, Stalin, and Russia, the majority of, of people didn't agree with the tactics that they were conducting, but, but do you know what they did? Nothing. They let it go. Passivity is a destruction. Ignore it long enough, and that destruction comes your way. The people that ignored those train tracks, ultimately, their towns were devastated by war anyway. Standing or not standing, there was no peace. Better to follow Christ than not. Passivity is a decision. It's a choice. God has created us to serve. Another illustration of someone who, who got what God made him for in service to him came, came from an individual so confident in his freedom for Christ that he stood for the Lord and, and fought for freedom. And, and his name was Martin Luther King Jr. <laughs> Martin Luther, in his historic speech in April 3rd, 1968, in Memphis, Tennessee, uh, gave a speech called, I Have Been to the Mountaintop. And the interesting thing about this speech in April 3rd, 1968, was it was the last speech that he gave before his life was taken from him the next day. And listen to what he says. I don't know what will happen to me now. We have difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me because I have been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I am not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. I may not get to the promised land with you, but we are going to make it to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I am not worried about anything. I am not fearing any man, for my eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. One person stands up. Understanding a generation of people affected by such service for the Lord. If we're called to serve, then why do we not serve? What keeps you at moments in your life from sharing with someone else in need? From opening your mouth and just declaring the beauty of what Christ has done? What keeps us from serving as Jesus has called us to serve. That's what Galatians chapter 5 is. Paul's explanation to the believers in this chapter uh, of the temptation that we face not to serve the Lord and why we face that temptation and then how to overcome. 
Chapter 5 in verse 1 starts this explanation of freedom in Christ. And then Paul gives an explanation for the next 12 verses of what keeps us from serving in that freedom. And then in verse 13, he picks up another thread of thought of our freedom in Christ and something else that limits us in serving the Lord as God would desire for which we are created. What keeps us from serving That's why this morning we opened up with this text of scripture. I started with verse 1 and I went ahead and just skipped to verse 13 because after verse 1 is the summation of everything that Paul wants to elaborate on from from chapter verse 1 of of this chapter. In verse uh, 13 and 14, it's the same thing that follows afterwards. Paul's giving an expounding upon in that summation in this verse uh, of what it means to desire not to serve the Lord in the battle that we fight for for not serving him. Why do we not serve the Lord? Number one, Paul's answer. We exchange our freedom for a yoke. Let me just read it one more time in verse one. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. What is the yoke that Paul is referencing in this passage? It's religion. In order to be a a fired up servant for Christ, you have to be connected to the freedom that Jesus brings to you. But religion will pull us in the opposite direction, having earning our, our favor before the Lord. It's hard for us to care for someone else's needs when we're preoccupied with the needs of our own lives being yoked in a prison. In fact, in verses 2 to 4, Paul describes this yoke in a little more detail, the bondage that keeps them from the freedom they find in Jesus. It says in verse 2, Behold, I, Paul, say to you that if you receive circumcision, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he is under obligation to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ, you who are seeking to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Paul's saying in this passage, we've alienated ourselves from what Christ has accomplished for us on the cross. In the Christian life, it's not about what you're doing, but about what Jesus has already done. The freedom that you have has nothing to do with you earning it, but everything to do with Christ paying for it on your behalf. Religion is all about working for ourselves again to try to release our own chains. You may ultimately do something for someone else, but the basic need that drives your motivation for what you're doing is out of obligation for serving yourself. It's done out of obligation, not out of joy for what Jesus has done. And so the Galatians in this passage are specifically neglecting their freedom in Jesus by reverting back to the bonds of religion. Religion puts you in bondage. And so the Galatians were serving their own needs, if any at all. Galatians were serving, and they weren't doing it for the benefit of others, but only thinking of their well-being. And the truth is, when you serve in religion... You're never truly free because you never know how much would be enough that God might love you and embrace you and accept you for what you're doing and have done. 
And so under obligation, that yoke, as this passage says, rests upon you in this continuous weight of performance after performance, never knowing if you've ever satisfied a God in his holiness or the God in his holiness. As believers, when we come to a passage like this, we recognize that it should bring us pure joy in seeing the, re, the, the freedom that Christ has brought us, brought us outside of religion, now knowing that we are completely free in him. In fact, he gives us the cure to a religious thinking in verse 4 when he says, You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. The freedom to serve that God has given to us has been completely expressed in his grace. Romans 11.6, Romans 4.4, Ephesians 2.8.9, the reference in your notes gives a beautiful definition of what grace is about. Romans 11.6, let me give you the Nathaniel Wall summation of that. It says, if you do anything to earn God's favor, that's not grace. (laughs) It says otherwise, grace is not grace if you're working for it. The cure is to recognize the grace of God. Let me, let me just say it more beautifully, more specifically, more, more um, I don't know, imaginative in our minds. Let the grace of God wreck your life. It's free. That someone would love you in such a way to give his life to you, it is free. And I don't know about you being a pastor, I love free. Sometimes McDonald's runs early morning free coffee. I'm like the first in line. That's not true. I don't like their coffee. But I I would be if it were better. Free, right? I want free. Matter of fact, if someone says to you, this is free, you're like, what? Can I have, I got my wife and kids. Can I have some more? Come on. I take 15, please. Give it to me. It's free. I love free. And then you leave from that place and you begin to share it with other people, right? You can't help it. You're on Facebook. Just tell, hey, you need to know this before they run out. It's free. It's down there and it's free. Go get it. It's free. The word freedom means this, the state of being free. How about that? (laughs) Jesus has given you the state of being free. Not that you have to serve him, but rather you get to serve him. The Bible describes us as in chains apart from Christ. And now Christ has freed us, giving us the opportunity in that grace so freely extended that has wrecked our lives just to respond with joy, never out of obligation because there is nothing that you could ever pay to God to pay the debt that you owe him. But Jesus has reconciled that debt, giving it to you for free and asking you to trust in him by faith. You serve the way God has called you to serve by living the grace that has brought you freedom. Freedom is the result of his grace received. Freedom comes at a cost to the giver of freedom. And freedom gives me no cause for concern for myself, but it frees me to care for the opportunities of others. Rather than obligation, Christ has set us free.
If you're interested in learning more about the difference between the gospel of grace and religion, I'm going to encourage you to look this up. There's an article written by Tim Keller in his book called Center Church, and it's just about the gospel versus religion. If you just Google Tim Keller, gospel versus religion, and Center Church, you will find that chart pop up on the internet in multiple locations showing the variation between the freedom that we have in Christ and the obligation that we serve under religion. But what Jesus has called us to is to live free because Christ has set us free. Problem two then, Paul shares in verse 13. If, if we don't find ourselves prisoner under religion, feeling as if we, we owe God and we're obligated to owing God as if we could ever hope to pay a debt that we owe to God. He, he says, if that's not your struggle in verse 13, then this is another temptation we, we face in not serving the Lord. And so he says, for you were called to freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom into opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in the statement, you shall love the Lord your God, or love your neighbor as yourself. I keep saying that. Problem number two is, is the flesh, our opportunity for the flesh. Once, once Jesus sets us free, then we just say, you know what? Jesus paid for it all. Let's live like hell because Christ has paid for the debt. And so let's not honor him with our life. Let's, let's just continue to live for ourselves. And it's funny is during that entire process, we were always the hero of our own story. You think in a life of religion, it's all about you, the performance of you to free the chains that you find yourself captured in. And when you think about living in the flesh, it's still all about you letting go of Christ and living life as if you were the king and Lord of everything. And so in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, Paul lists for us just the problem of our lives. He says, I have, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly, reiterating in verse 21. Religion will not give you the grace that God does. So Paul says in this passage, you know what opportunity the flesh is like? Let me give you the opposite of what he says. You're not crucified with Christ. Verse chapter 22 and verse 20 says that for us to live in freedom of Jesus, we have to be crucified in Christ. And the reason we don't live in that freedom of Jesus is because we've not crucified ourselves in Christ. Let me give you the truth. And this hurts me <laughs> to think about this. The reason I do not share as Christ has created me to share is because I've allowed me in those moments to numb myself to the spiritual devastation that rests on the human soul. Truth is, I don't care about them as much as I care about what they think about me. If I let the grace of God wreck my life the way that God desires to in the grace that's been demonstrated, there would be nothing that would withhold me from ever sharing. I wouldn't fear what other people have to say. So ultimately, it doesn't matter. I'm free in Christ. Don't give a rip what you think in that regards. Because Jesus has set me free and I know where I'm bound. The reason I don't serve 
as Christ has called me to serve and the freedom of serving him is because I'm not crucified with him. In my mind, I allow to become numb to the spiritual devastation of life apart from him. Not allowing my heart to be wrecked by the grace that's been given to me in Jesus. I'm never going to serve the trains of prisoners passing by me without dying to myself. To think about the goodness of someone else's well-being through the glory of God. What an opportunity to just pause and share the gift that God's given me. Because when I'm wrecked by that grace and understand what Jesus has done, I understand that that gift that was never worthy to even receive myself. So why, why in the world would I hold on to something so precious in Christ rather than just share it with each person who has need, knowing they have need through the same way that Christ has given it to me freely. Just as I had need, Jesus came to my life. And just as someone else has need, Jesus has called me into this world to share that grace with others. because I'm not crucified with Christ. The cure that Paul gives them is to be crucified with Christ. Notice what he says in this passage. He says, I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me. And gave himself up for me. When we are crucified with Christ, we submit to Jesus and allow his spirit and power to move within us. Let me just say this when it comes to the Christian life and saying, I, I am a Christian or I'm a follower of Jesus. What you're saying through those terms is that I died to self. I have no rights. Because Jesus is Lord. I've given it all to him. Not out of guilt, but out of joy. Because I understood where I was apart from him. And now I'm looking with joy to where I'm going in him. And so it's with joy I continue to serve the God who offers me such goodness and glory to come through him. And I love what Paul recognizes in this passage because he's going to do it again in, verse, in chapter 5 and verse 16. He says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Look what he says in verse 16 of chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. And, he, and then he gives us an outline for what that looks like if the Spirit of God's making itself known in your life. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness and goodness, uh, self control against such things. There is no law. Christ lives within us. It's important to pause and say to ourselves that it's not my power that serves for God's glory. But when I surrender, it's Christ's power moving in me. So here comes the temptation for us. When, when you say to yourself, you know, I'm not, I'm not the religious person. That's not my struggle. 
but, but I, am, I am the person that's tempted by the flesh. That, that is my struggle. Oh, no, I better, I better do what the Spirit says. I better live with love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness. Can I just warn you that that's not what this passage is saying? Because if you struggle in the flesh and then that becomes your temptation to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, like this passage says, is the fruit of the Spirit, you are doing exactly what legalism says. You're still making it all about you. In, in your flesh serving you, it's about you. In legalism, you jump back to living life by your power and your strength all about you. But what this passage says is it has nothing to do with you. Do you realize the, the gospel as individuals, we tend to make the, the gospel so focused on a, a person. But the gospel is bigger than any of us. It's greater than just a person. Let me tell you why. When Jesus came to redeem, he didn't just come to redeem you. Jesus came to redeem all of creation. Which is why it says in Romans 8, all of creation groans under a curse awaiting for the arrival of the coming of the Messiah. So that when Jesus comes, the curse will be lifted. And the Bible tells us he'll create a new heavens and a new earth. The story of the gospel is far bigger than you. It's the power of God and the redemption of all of history, past, present, and future. And you just happen to be a part of it. And through his freedom that he has brought you, you get the opportunity to serve such a king, having before never had the opportunity to to love and experience joy and peace and patience in his spirit. He has set you free to do so. So how do you do it? If I I don't do it religiously and I'm not living in the flesh, how how do I see the Spirit move? The answer is in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruit of Nathaniel. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Remember what he said in verse 16, walk in the spirit. That's a way of saying in the Greek text, be controlled by the spirit. Lay your life down, be crucified with Christ in surrendering your life to the Lord. God then by his power works within you. This is how it works in our lives. We come before Jesus and we allow ourselves just to be wrecked by a grace. We wake up in the morning to a God who didn't owe you today. Under no obligation does he have to give you today, but he gave it to you freely anyway. Under no obligation does he owe you your life, but he gave it to you anyway. Under no obligation does he have to offer you any hope in him, but he's given it to you anyway freely. Out of his love, you allow your life to be wrecked by his grace. And the joy of experience a God who has created you for relationship and offering you such hope, you take the opportunity to then surrender yourself to him and say, God, you didn't have to, you didn't have to, but you did. And so this morning, knowing this is your day for your goodness and glory, why I am created, God, I surrender myself to you, whatever you desire to do. And when you go into this world, you surrender and submit to God's will. And here's the beauty of it. When you surrender the things of your life that you're looking to satisfy yourself by your own strength, you find it in the spirit. The love that you want, 
the joy that your heart desires, the peace, the patience, the self-control, the emptiness that you want gone, given to you by the one who created you, who knows better for you what, what you need than you do yourself if you would just surrender. You come to a passage like this and you realize I've been struggling with the flesh and I haven't lived for the purpose that God's created me. I haven't allowed myself to be wrecked by his grace. And you refuse at those moments not to revert back to the idea of religion in which you are obligated to prove your worth to God, which is impossible. But you simply say before him, God, I just want to surrender. And wherever this takes me, whatever the right is, no matter if a train's passing by that needs me or you call me to the mountaintop for freedom, God, I just want to express with joy what you've created me to do walk by your spirit that your fruit may be made known saying to us this morning the best thing you can do for your life is to die to yourself that Jesus can write a new path in your heart to not allow yourself to become numb in the flesh of your own life to the spiritual needs of those around you but just and not fear of man just living for Jesus. As Martin Luther King would say, let freedom ring. Not necessarily always in a physical liberty sense, but, but in the spiritual liberty that Christ offers us, bringing us even more liberty through him beyond the, the newness that we experience in Christ. So let me say this as a prayerful hope for our church this morning. May we serve that the church may reflect with joy the beauty of the one who has set us free. When we gather, may we gather in praise as those who have been wrecked by his grace to celebrate what he's done, treating Sunday morning as a celebration service of our freedom in Christ. May we seek to minister to the train of people passing by us. May we not live in dead orthodoxy, numb to the needs of others, but live in the reality of the desperation of the human soul, looking forward to the opportunity to share of the hope of Christ being active and freedom found in Jesus and we take the time to help point others to freedom in Christ because we are already free in Jesus so we may keep dying to ourselves that we may live for Christ. Knowing that as people, when we die to ourselves, we draw near to Jesus that the power of his spirit may freely move within us. This morning, you're not under obligation to serve because you're not under law. But you've been given that gift because of the freedom that you get in Christ. And the joy of knowing everything that he's called you to in this world and all that's to come should be the motivation behind us to just do it with joy in our hearts for his goodness and glory. Recognizing it's not about religion it's not about flesh. It's not about me. It's bigger than me. But I had the opportunity to be a part if I, by freedom, would just serve in giving my life to Christ that his spirit may move freely within me.